This happened to me and my friend when we were around 16. And we would always hang out or stay at each other's houses, to the point that my parents joked about making up my big brother's old room as her own. It was just me and my parents since my older brother had moved out, so we tended to hang out there more, but we did stay at her place quite a bit too. The only problem was that she didn't get along with her mom very well, so when she would come home from work and be in a bad mood, or when she just wanted to get away from her, we would walk around the neighborhood or head over to the park that was over a few blocks. It was pretty old. The playground was all metal and rusted with paint chipping away. Thinking back, I'm surprised we never got cut on any of it. Thank God for tetanus shots, though. <laughs> Am I right? Anyways, the playground was pretty normal with the part you can walk up or climb up, a few slides and the bars you can swing across. There was also the swing set that had two normal swings and one of those baby seat swings, and then the merry-go-round that was wobbly and squeaked. It was perfect for two teenagers to just get away, especially since people didn't dare take their little kids there anymore. We liked to do stupid things on the swings, or just lay on our backs on the merry-go-round while we talked. It was nice and peaceful, and it gave us a sense of privacy that we needed. I also wanted to mention another place that we would go when we weren't going to the park. Typically, when we didn't want to walk that far, or if it was too hot or too cold, and that was her neighbor's house, or rather the guy that was about two houses down. We'll call him Jack. Jack was a middle-aged, quiet guy that lived alone with his dog. He kept to himself as far as I could tell, but was always very nice to us. He let my friend and I watch his dog and house-sit when he was going to be gone for a few days, and he always said we were welcomed to anything in his home. Food, soda, watching movies, or things like that. It was really cool because he had a snow cone maker, so when we wanted to go somewhere that her mom wouldn't be able to find us, we would go over there, make snow cones, and watch TV. He even invited us over when we were walking by, and he offered us stuff. I remember one time we were walking, and he had just gotten home. He waved us over to help him bring some things inside, to which we helped, and then he showed us that he had just bought a SNES. So he asked if we wanted to play, and we went in and played some games, and he actually ordered pizza for us. It was a lot of fun, and I imagined we were like adults with the roommate, just chilling. Jack was actually cool, too. He never gave off any weird vibes, and actually seemed to keep his distance, too, which was appreciated. We talked to him like we were friends, telling him how school was going, gossip that we knew, people we liked, and those that we couldn't stand. So, those were our two getaway spots that we took advantage of often. One weekend, we wanted to stay the night together, but she wasn't allowed to go to anyone's house, so I had to stay over at her place. No big deal. 
I gathered my necessities and my mom dropped me off over there. We chilled for a while in her brother's room while he played games, but when he left to go to his girlfriend's house, he would lock the door and wouldn't let us in there. So we went back to her room and just listened to music while we were drawing. It wasn't long after that, though, that her mom got home from work and immediately ruined the mood. She was just flat-out mean to Anna. It was usually just yelling at her, but every once in a while, I would see her smack her in the mouth or grab her by the hair to take her into the kitchen or something to do something. I know it was stupid, looking back on it now, but... I never told my parents. I mentioned that she was mean, like when she yelled at her, but I never mentioned her ever being physically abusive to her. Part of that was because Anna asked me not to tell anyone either. What I didn't understand, though, was that she was never like that to her brother. She was always kind to him and gave him anything he asked for. He seemed like he understood and felt bad for the situation, too, which is why he always asked us if we wanted to hang out in his room while he was there, but still never let us in when he wasn't home. Anyways, we knew she was home because she had slammed the door shut. Shortly after, she hollered for Anna to help her with something. I sat in the room waiting for her to come back, and when she did, she looked pretty annoyed. She told me that she wanted her to do something, and was complaining about it, so I volunteered to help to get it done quicker. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was something pretty stupid and mundane, like she wanted her to clean the windows or something like that. When she was mad, she always gave some random chore to do, and as she did it, she would nag and make comments about how she was always doing it wrong. So after we got started and she got started on her nagging, Anna got mad and told her that she was done. They started arguing a bit, and when she went in to smack her, she managed to duck to get out of the way, so her mom yelled at us to leave. We couldn't go to my house, but yet she still wanted us out. So we grabbed a few things, like our little speaker and MP3 player, and a flashlight, and walked out. It was starting to get dark, so we decided to walk down to the park for a few hours to cool off. We got there, and we swung for a bit. Anna cried and practically cursed her mom for a few, and then we got back into high spirits talking about other things. Thankfully, it wasn't long before we were goofing off on the merry-go-round and laughing again. As mentioned, it was uncommon for us to run into other people there, especially at night, so when we saw a car pull up and just sit there for a while, we were suspicious. Anna thought it was probably someone that had called the cops since we were being loud, so we started getting up and gathering our stuff when we heard someone get out of the car and heard a familiar voice. As he approached, we noticed that it was Jack. He greeted us, and we did the same, immediately feeling at ease again. He sat next to us and asked us what we were doing out here. Anna said we were just chilling, waiting for her mom to leave or to go back to bed to go back home. As we talked for a while with him, joking around, 
something was brought up about a guy that I liked. When that was mentioned, Jack made a pouty face and said something about, Huh, don't tell me you have your eyes set on someone else now. We both chuckled and Anna mentioned the guy a little more, and Jack seemed like he was trying to one-up everything that she said. She mentioned that he had longer hair, and Jack said, I'd grow mine out for you. She said he had his permit, and then he said, I already have my own car. Things like that. Then she mentioned that he had his lip pierced, and Jack said, Huh, I have a piercing too. We both had spent enough time around him to know that he did not. So, being the naive girls that we were, we both kind of started giggling and said, No, you don't. And he said, Of course I do. You girls just can't see it from where you are. Again, not thinking much of it, Anna asked where. He then got this grin that actually made me feel uncomfortable and said, Well, I'd have to take my pants off. And then he winked at us. I could tell Anna was a bit uncomfortable too, but she just kind of laughed and said, Ew, no thanks. He then laughed, and as we sat there awkwardly silent for a few moments, he finally broke the silence, saying, You know, I always thought you girls were too cute for your age. Like, dangerously so. This grown man really just said this to us. We just sat there not knowing what to say or how to react. Thankfully, he stood up and said, I should get going, but if we wanted to come back to his place for some fun... We were always welcome, and then headed back to his car. Once we heard the car door shut, I turned to Anna and asked what the hell that was. Jack was never like that before, and now, I didn't think I would ever feel comfortable around him. We sat there for a while, waiting for him to leave, as we were nervous to even walk past him. It was probably 15 minutes or so, and he was still sitting there, lights off, so we decided to leave and made a plan in case he tried anything else. Unfortunately, the park was fenced in, so there was only one way to really enter and exit, unless you wanted to climb the fence, and we weren't trying to make it look obvious that we were avoiding him. So, as we started walking by the parking lot, We walked along the edge and looked over to see him staring right at us. He didn't move, he didn't smile or wave, he just stared. We finally got out of there and headed right back to her place. Thankfully, her mom was already passed out, so we snuck back into her room and, again, tried to relax and talk about what the hell had just happened. Unfortunately, that would not be the end of it, though. It was either the next day or the day after, while I was over at her place, Anna's mom had come into the room yelling about Jack, and how we weren't allowed to go over there anymore. At that point, we had no intentions of ever talking to him again, but we were curious and asked why. She said someone had called the cops due to suspicious people in the park screaming, and they saw a car there for several hours with their lights off. When the cops showed up, they found Jack in his car, pants down, 
with a picture of us that Anna had given him some time ago. It was one of the pictures that we took for our yearbook. She yelled at us saying that was stupid of us, and that we weren't allowed to even go to the park alone either. I did tell my parents too, which led to us having to explain why we even went there at night alone in the first place. They already knew about Jack as well, and had even met him and didn't really think much of it. They also agreed though, and they didn't want us there alone anymore, thinking nothing good was going to come from it anyways, which we didn't hesitate. Anna wanted to be here more anyways. We never saw Jack again after that, but we did learn when we were older by looking him up that he had gone to jail a few times for similar crimes, so we unfortunately weren't the only ones targeted. Last I checked, though, he was locked up for a few years, so I hope that we, nor any other girl, has to ever run into that creep again. Back when my daughter was still quite little, we used to go to a nearby park to play. I was a stay-at-home mom, and she was my first and only kid. My husband's also in the military, so we tended to move around a lot. Because of this, I don't get to interact with other adults very often, and with my daughter just starting a new school... It was a great way for us to get some interactions from other parents and kids. So, since she had half days on Fridays, I would pick her up from school, run some errands, if I had any, and then head to the park for a few hours. Charlie was always an outgoing child. When we went to places like the park, she was always quick to meet friends. She would run up to others, introduce herself, and start playing with them. If she noticed someone playing alone, she would immediately go to them and share whatever toy that she had brought with her, so that they were not alone. I had to talk to her about making sure that we don't share too much information, because she can also get pretty carried away. For her age, though, She was also pretty smart and aware of her surroundings, but I blame her father for that. Anyways, this is all what caused the situation we ran across one day at the park with another little kid there. We went over to this park as we normally did, and after looking it over, Charlie told me that she was headed to the swings, and she ran off a bit ahead of me. I caught up and I pushed her for a while and was playing with her and talking about her day at school. While standing there, I was looking around the park as you do to see who all is around, what's going on nearby, things like that. I noticed a middle-aged woman walking to the park with a young girl, probably close to my daughter's age. I remembered them because the mom looked like she had a firm grip on the girl's hand whereas the little girl looked a bit nervous, like she may have been shy. They stopped by the entrance of the actual playground area when the mom knelt down and said something to the girl. She looked very serious about it too, but again, 
My thought was maybe just laying out some ground rules, stay in my sight, no wandering off with strangers, etc. Then, the mom sat down at a picnic table and the girls slowly walked off to the actual playground. I turned my focus back to Charlie, as she started talking, saying she was going to try the monkey bars, and hopped off the swing. I noticed the little girl had gone over the bridge on the other side of the monkey bars, and just stood there watching us. I smiled at her as she gave a shy smile back, and then looked towards her mom. I noticed at this point, the mom was sitting facing the playground, but was nose deep into a newspaper, circling and writing things on it and making phone calls. I helped Charlie across the bars, and when she got to the other side, she did as I anticipated, excusing herself to not kick this girl, and then asking her if she was going to go across. She shook her head no, and then Charlie began her barrage of questions. Do you like monkey bars? Have you tried them before? Are you afraid of them? The girl shyly answered that she didn't know how to do it, to which... Charlie volunteered me to help since I was so good at it. I then agreed, looking back over at her mom and seeing her still preoccupied. I offered to take her across, and she agreed. I got her set up on the first one, and then helped her across to the other side. Once there, Charlie clapped and told her that she did a great job, which made the girl smile. So after taking them both across a few times... Charlie introduced herself and asked the girl what her name was. After a few seconds of looking around, she told us that it was Carrie. So, from there, the two of them played together for a while. I decided to sit at a different bench for a while. The picnic table that she was at was to my right, so I would gaze over to see the mom either still on the phone or writing something or she would glance up and look around for Carrie and then continue on with what she was doing. After a few, I saw the two of them sitting in the middle of the merry-go-round and talking. Charlie had quite a confused or puzzled look on her face, so I assumed they were just telling each other stories or something. A little while after, they both came up to me and Charlie asked for her snack, and then asked if she could share some with Carrie. I agreed, and as I started pulling it out, Charlie said she had to run to the restroom, so I reminded her where it was and watched as she walked over to the facilities. Once she went in, I finished pulling out the crackers and water when Carrie said that I was a really nice mom. I smiled, and I thanked her and told her that she was a really nice kid, and I said that I bet your mom is pretty nice too, huh? As I tilted my head to the side, she looked over to her mom and her smile seemed to change, like it was fake. And she said, yeah, my real mom is. This, of course, caught me off guard at first, but then I thought maybe that was just her stepmom or another guardian that was watching her. So I just chuckled a bit and began pouring some of the crackers out for her. As I did this, she then said, My name's not really Carrie. Not really knowing how to respond to that, I just said like, Oh yeah? 
and almost as if she was whispering to me, she said, My real name is Sabrina. So I said something like, Well, nice to meet you, Sabrina, and started asking her why she had a fake name when Charlie came running back over to us as well. That's when she told me it was the name that she gave her and pointed to the woman on the bench. Charlie started eating and was just listening to us when she cut in to say, Carrie just moved here and asked if she could come over to watch some movies and have a new friend. Normally I was all for her making new friends and getting contact info from parents, but the look in Sabrina's eyes was different from a kid begging please. It was more of a plea for help. I asked her if she was okay, and she said she didn't want to go back home with her. This immediately put me in defense mode. I had Charlie sitting next to me and eating, while I looked at the girl straight in the face and I said, Do you know that woman that brought you here? I remember she looked so scared and then glanced over at her, and then back to me and she said, I don't know. I tried explaining to her that she wasn't in any trouble, and that she wouldn't be. Anything I could to keep her calm and get more information out of her, and then I heard someone shout for Carrie. She looked up and started walking over to that woman, so I tried to act calm and uncaring. I turned to look at Charlie and smiled, talking to her as I tried glancing back up at Sabrina. I noticed the woman was now shaking her arm really hard, and she looked like she was about to cry. I wasn't the only person to notice this, though. I saw a couple of adults looking in that direction at them, too, so I decided to take a chance and calm the situation some. I told Charlie to stay put, and I walked over to Sabrina and the woman. I introduced myself, and I said my daughter was very outgoing and that she had immediately invited her over for snacks and apologized profusely that I didn't ask her first, worried about possible allergies. I even made sure to refer to her as Carrie. The woman seemed to let go of her and immediately began rubbing her arm and softened her tone. She said it was no problem and she was just worried about where she was since she wasn't in the last place that she saw her. I paused for a second, not knowing what to do next, when Sabrina asked if she could play a bit longer. The woman then agreed, and as she said a few more things to her, I started walking back to Charlie. And that's when she said to me, Sabrina's scared, Mommy. I couldn't risk it. Having my own daughter there and thinking what I would do if anything happened to her, I called the cops. The girl went back and continued to play, so... I called them while they weren't around. They stayed on the phone until they said someone had showed up at the park, and I called the girls back over. I told them to stay by me no matter who came up to the bench. To my surprise, though, as I stood up and turned around to see the cop, I noticed that the woman at the table was gone. Even her newspaper or whatever. She was just gone. I gave my report to the officer, and we actually had a few other adults that came over and asked if it was about the girl too, because they had more to add as well. It turned out, the little girl's name really was Sabrina. She was abducted by this woman and was told to use the name Carrie in hopes that they wouldn't be found. 
Sabrina talked to the cop, and they ended up taking her with them, even though she cried asking to stay with us. I told her she was safe and that they would help find her real mom. I learned, however, that the woman was someone that they actually did know, her parents. I don't know if she was a family member or just a friend, but they took her when they weren't aware, and they had actually left the state. They weren't even from the state that we were in. She was reunited with her real parents, of course. I didn't really hear much else about it. Sometimes, I do want to look her up to see how she's doing, or how her parents are doing. I'm just incredibly thankful that day that my daughter was so outgoing and willing to reach out to others that she trusted me and Charlie enough to tell us. It scares me to think about what could have happened if I didn't catch on, or if she didn't speak up. Kids can be smarter than you think, so keep an open mind and don't pass off some of the weird things that they say as just some strange kid talk. I have a story about something that happened to my family uh, back in the early 2000s. And while I say family, it was centered around my aunt, but it also affected my mom and dad as well, and even lingered into causing harm to people we didn't even know. It'll make sense as the story goes on. To give a bit of background into my family... My mother half-owns a salon with one of her college friends. The two of them have been in together on it for around 25 years, and they've always had a great relationship and pretty consistent clientele. They've made decent money since they started, and they have a good staff of people that work various shifts. Really, it's just your normal, successful salon. Now, my aunt has been a major part of my life since the day that I was born. She's always been a stay-at-home mom, and when my mother had hit a point where she needed to get back to work, my aunt kind of took over raising me until I started going to school. Even then, I would get off the bus at her house after school, and would spend time with my cousins until my dad got off work and came over to pick me up. So... Needless to say, my aunt has always been like a second mother to me. Unfortunately, she's also always been in a bit of a rough marriage. My uncle, her husband, and the father of her two kids had taken to drinking to unwind. The problem is that his unwinding quickly turned into addiction and then full-blown alcoholism. He was drinking heavily every single night, he was waking up with a hangover and not going to work, and then he ended up getting fired because he showed up to the dealership where he was a mechanic, and they could tell that he was at least somewhat buzzed. From there, things just started getting worse. With no income, they weren't going to be able to keep the house. They were struggling with the basic financial needs on a day-to-day -day basis, and my uncle had started to take his frustrations out on my aunt. 
I think that most of you can assume what I mean by that, but she was basically explaining that it was escalating beyond what it was, and that things were seeming like they were just going to get worse. From there, she was talking to my mom about getting her own place and looking for some recommendations. My mom, being the person that she is, told my aunt that she was welcome to come and stay with us for as long as they needed to, and that we could move things around to make it work. At first, my aunt wasn't sure if she wanted to go through with it, but after a little bit of convincing, my mother had basically talked her into doing so. Then, on my birthday, which was that first week of April, my mom and cousins had gotten their things and moved into the house. She had successfully filed for divorce against my uncle. My uncle, as one can expect, was not happy with how things were going, but didn't really have much of a say in the matter. They had gone through a lawyer that my mother knew, and it became a situation of, this divorce is happening... The kids are going with her because she has a stable place to live. As they were settling in to living there, my mom had actually talked with her partner at the salon and gotten my aunt a part-time job there. Basically, my mom was going to make sure that this whole thing went as smoothly as it could and that my aunt would be back on her feet in no time. That's just who my mom is. Unfortunately, pretty much immediately after they had moved in and they started to feel comfortable, the phone calls began. At first, it would be my uncle calling and when my mom or dad answered, he would demand to talk to his wife. They would, professionally, tell him that she was no longer his wife and that he needed to not call our residence. Anything he wanted to say needed to be done through their attorney until things were settled. Then, he would start calling and hanging up, calling from different numbers, calling and saying something that was vaguely threatening and then hanging up. He pretty much went through all the levels of being an angry creep, and sure I felt bad for him as this was obviously something that was a huge change in his life, and it was hurting him, but he had no one to blame but himself. Any pity that I had for him definitely dwindled as the days went on, and when I say days, I do mean days. It was still April when he started to really escalate and get aggressive. The first step he took that was beyond just calling it was showing up at the house unannounced. He only did this once, but he had basically showed up in the middle of the night, probably around 1 or 2 in the morning, and you could smell the booze on him. He banged on the door for several minutes before my dad answered, and my mom was already calling the cops, mostly because he had driven over there and was very obviously inebriated. When the police showed up, they couldn't really do a whole lot other than ask him to leave the property and tell him that he wasn't allowed to drive. Because he wasn't in the car when they got there, 
They couldn't say that he was driving drunk as there was no proof that he had actually been driving. He tried to argue with them, but they were beyond adamant that he needed to call a cab or call someone to pick him up. They then told my aunt to get a restraining order against him if this was going to be a big thing, as that would make it to where they could do more if he tried to get to her again. She told them that she would, and then mentioned that it had been a fairly rocky divorce, and that there was already a lawyer involved. They stuck around until he got into the cab, and then they left as well. That, unfortunately was not the end of it, though the next day was. After that night, my aunt was a bit shaken and apologetic about the whole thing, but my mom was very pushy about the fact that it was not her fault. Despite this, my aunt told her that she wanted to call my uncle and have him meet her at the salon so they could talk and try to set some boundaries on things. My mother didn't like this, but my aunt said it would be okay and that he just needed to be talked to like a child. So, my aunt called him and told him to meet her at the salon at around noon so they could talk about the situation, and maybe come to some kind of agreement. Unfortunately, he had other plans. He agreed to meet up with her there at noon, and she thought that was it. They went to the salon, and they started working as normal. Around 11, they were busy, like they normally were, and they had a number of people in the chairs, and a few waiting for their turns. From what I've been told, my aunt was working at the front register, facing out into the parking lot, when she saw my uncle's car pull into the lot. She sighed, and made a comment to my mom about him being there early. My mom told her that, if she needed, she could head outside and just talk to him now. She agreed, and started walking around the counter, but as soon as she was doing so, she looked up and saw the look on his face, and she saw that he was seriously raging. She said that she had a bad feeling as soon as she saw him, but there was nothing that she could do. He had put his car back in to drive, and he had gunned it. The way they describe the sound of the car driving through the front wall of the building is painful. It was just a loud smashing sound, followed by the screams of everyone in the building, and then it just went silent as the weight of what happened took over. Thankfully, no one was seriously hurt, though he had smacked into at least one person that was waiting, and they had minor cuts and bruises. What's worse, my uncle tried to get out of his car and run away from the scene, thinking that he could get away and not get caught somehow. Ignoring the fact that he had driven his own car into the salon where his wife worked, it was on camera, and had been seen by multiple people, he thought he would be able to get away. He was also drunk, surprise, surprise, so he was unable to really run very far. So, overall, he ended up arrested for several different crimes, 
The salon had to shut down for a month or so to get repaired, and a few people got to experience almost being run over while waiting for their haircuts. Thankfully, he did go away for a long time, and my aunt was able to get things back in the right direction, but no one in my family has ever forgotten the day that they were almost murdered by my insane drunk of an uncle. This happened back in the spring sometime in the early 90s. I don't remember the exact year, just that it was the beginning of April. I could probably look it up, but honestly, it's not hugely relevant to the story. I do recall that as a kid, I was probably around 12 or 13 when this happened. And while it's not the most eventful situation to ever happen to someone... It was enough to basically imprint on my memories and give me nightmares for a couple years. Nowadays, it's pretty much just an interesting story for me to tell others about. Like I said, this was back in April of that year. It was the first week of the month, and our city had gotten hit with a bit of a surprise early spring snowstorm. The weather had gone from decent and in the low 60s to well below freezing with tons of snow coming down in less than 48 hours. I remember that I was super happy about it because it meant we got at least one more snow day, but my mom and dad were less than thrilled. The weatherman had said there was going to be a decent amount of snow, something like 3 or 4 inches, but it actually snowed a lot, and it just kept going. I swear it was over a foot, but I was also still really young, so it probably wasn't quite that much. I recall the first night of the storm was actually a bit intense. There was a mix of freezing rain under the snow, then it snowed for several hours, and then it had kind of fallen into a weird mix of both. This caused a bunch of trees to freeze over, and was causing a good amount of damage from falling limbs. We, thankfully, didn't have too much in ways of trees around the actual house, just a few in the backyard that were near the rear of the property. Unfortunately, there was one that was half dead, and the ice was the catalyst to the whole thing falling over, or at least half of it. On that first night, probably around nine or so, I remember I was on the couch, my mom was in her chair, and my dad had already gone to bed. The two of us were waiting to see if school was going to be closed the next day, even though I knew it was going to be. We were just sitting there, and I remember hearing a really loud snapping sound coming from the rear of the house, and then the entire house just went completely silent and dark. My mom told me to stay where I was, and went to wake up my dad, which really just made him angry more than anything. But he went out to the garage and grabbed a flashlight from his toolbox, and then my mom and I lit some candles. It was seriously creepy to be there at almost ten at night, with the whole house just completely silent. Other than my mom trying to find the number for the electric company's emergency line in the phone book. 
Fun fact, for those that have never had a landline phone, those copper lines didn't require power to the house. They worked even during most power outages. My dad just kind of sat in his recliner and went back to sleep, while my mom was doing all the work trying to get a hold of them. I was just kind of sitting there, staring out into the front yard and watching the houses that I could see from the window, and pointing out which neighbors had also lost power. Mostly by their porch lights. There were a few houses that were still on, but most of them looked like they had been affected. I remember my mom saying something about them not being able to send an emergency crew until at least the next afternoon because it was happening everywhere. And then they started talking like adults, trying to figure things out, so I tuned them out in my head. The next day was pretty much the same. My dad went to work, and my mom and I stayed home, just trying to stay warm and get some housework done around the upstairs area. This may seem like a strange thing to point out, but it's important to what happens that night. That afternoon, the power company did come out, but they'd pretty much told us that they had to run a new line from the pole to the pole in the back of our house, and that it wasn't going to be able to be done that day, which meant that we were about to hit day two of not having power or heat. Thankfully, our house was pretty well insulated, and we did have a gas stove, because we were able to keep it warm and make food, albeit by candlelight. That night is actually when the creepy situation occurred. That night, we were all sitting in the living room. My dad was falling asleep in his chair, and my mom was reading a book by candle. I was just sitting there in the living room, and I was bored. I remember just sitting there and doing nothing, much of anything, when my mom told me to go down to the basement to get something. I don't remember what it was, probably another candle or another blanket from the downstairs closet, and because I wasn't doing anything else, it was my job to head down to get it. The basement area in the house was set up in a way that it was mostly finished. When you went downstairs, there were a few main rooms, one of which was pretty much empty, another that was a storage room with boxes and Christmas stuff, and then off to one side was the closet. Whatever I'd been sent to retrieve was in the closet that was straight at the bottom of the stairs. So, I went down and opened the closet to grab it, and I remembered that I heard something coming from the next room over. As a kid, I think I was mostly curious about what was going on. So, I slowly walked over with my flashlight in hand, and I shined it at the door. As soon as I shined the light over at the door, whatever it was that was moving around stopped. This, of course, confused little me, so I went over to the door and I pushed it open, shining the light into part of the room. I think that part of me was expecting to see something like a mouse or some kind of animal or something, but that was not what I ended up seeing. In that room... Standing among the group of boxes was a full-grown man. I had no idea who this man was, no idea why he was in our basement, 
he was just standing there and staring at me, and I was silently staring back at him. Neither one of us moved for a few moments. It did take a few seconds for anything to move from this, because mostly I was just really confused about what was happening here, and, well, he'd been caught by a child. As soon as he started to move towards me, I literally screamed as loud as I could. This caught this guy off guard, and he started scrambling toward the window. I turned to run toward the stairs, and I ran into my dad, who had apparently woken up from my screaming. He was asking what was going on. I was pointing toward the storage room, shouting incoherently, and the guy in there was trying his best to climb out of the window. My dad pushed me to the side and ran into the storage room, and he tried to grab the guy as he escaped, but it only managed to snap the backpack off of him before he ran out into the yard. So, obviously, they called the cops about this, and they showed up to check out the situation. From what they could tell, the guy had broken into the basement at some point from that same window that he had crawled out of. What's scary? We have no idea when he had broken in. We hadn't been in the basement for at least the whole day, and he didn't look like he had snow on him, so he had dried off. The backpack that he left behind had just some clothes and food in it, as well as a few Polaroids of random people, at, at least seemingly random. We have no idea who any of them were or where they were taken, or why he even had them, but the cops did end up taking them from us. From what I know, they didn't catch this guy, and they really have no idea what it was all about. It was definitely possible that he was a homeless person that was looking for a place to stay, but it was really weird that he decided to break into our basement and stay there. Plus, this wasn't a city or anything like that. It was a small neighborhood, and we didn't have any homeless people that were seen around the area. I think that's honestly the scariest part. No one had ever seen this guy before or after, and he was not a part of our community. And that's honestly the scariest thing that's ever happened to me, and while some people may not think it's too creepy because nothing specific happened, it was enough to make me refuse to go to the basement alone, ever, again. I was a park ranger for many years at a local park in my town. It was a decent sized, with plenty to offer. It had two different playground areas for the smaller kids, and there was a decent-sized walking and biking path that went back into the trees and circled around the entire park, and it also had a back entrance that split off to follow along the road. In the back, in the trees, there was also a secluded gazebo area that people had parties at, too. Then, there was a small water park and skate park on the other side of the path, there always seemed to be something going on there, year-round, which I didn't mind. 
I loved being outside, and I loved my job, so I loved just patrolling the area or helping out when someone called us for something. However, it wasn't always a happy job. I also got sent to check on or clean up some bad situations. Most of the time, it was people being disruptive, like drinking and being loud or inconsiderate to others. People trashing an area, like at the gazebo in the back, and then leaving their mess, breaking up fights, things like that. But there were a few situations that stuck with me that I never really got answers for. This was one of the weirdest ones for me. So back by the gazebo was an open grassy area that we tended to have school or scouts camping in. There was a place where you could barbecue, but they usually got permits to do a campfire. I assume to learn how to start fires and stuff like that. When we had groups like this, we typically had one ranger staying overnight in the area to make sure that everyone was safe, and also not doing things they weren't supposed to. I'd done this a few times, and I loved it. Because I got to hang out in the park all night, sleep under the stars, and typically got free food. So I was going to be staying one night since a group of Girl Scouts, or something of that sort, was going to be there. I of course drove there, but then all I had with me for the night was my backpack that had some of the things I would take with me when I was camping. My ID stuff to prove I was a park ranger, and a fold-up cot that I had. I liked to literally sleep under the stars. No tents, no canopy... Just me and a cot, and it was perfect. So, I did my rounds and answered questions that any of the adults had, helped lead them to the restrooms, and then they all got ready for bed and headed to their tents. I did another round just to make sure that everyone else was gone and that nothing was wrong, and then I went and laid on my cot. It usually takes a while for me to fall asleep, though, so... I laid there for a while, reading, before I finally started to get drowsy. As I went to put my book back into my bag and turn off my headlamp, I heard crunching like someone was walking. I immediately looked around to see if anyone was getting out of their tent, and I didn't see anyone. I turned my lamp back on and started to look over at the tents again, but again, I didn't see anyone getting out or any movements coming from them. So I started looking around the trees to see if there was someone around that shouldn't be, or possibly even wildlife. We did have the occasional deers or raccoons that may go through, so I was thinking that probably is what it was. But then, my eyes met with something standing in the trees. There's a pretty thick area of trees that separates the front of the park from the back, so it would be weird for anyone to be walking through them. Not to mention, when I did my walk around, there was no sign of anyone around, and not even any extra cars in the parking lot. There was no reason for people to be here as we were long closed, so I just sat and watched for a moment to see what they would do. They had to know that I was staring at them, with my light facing right at them, but still they didn't budge. As I watched this guy, though, my eyes started to focus more in the dark, 
and I realized a couple of things. One, this guy was huge. I was comparing him to the trees, and his height was daunting. He had to be seven or eight feet tall, but maybe it was just because I was tired. But other than just looking freakishly tall, I thought he was wearing a big fur coat. He just looked very furry. The problem I had with this, though, is that it was around August, I believe, so it was way too hot to be wearing a fur coat. I didn't want to alarm any of the kids, so I stood up and thought I would walk over there to see if they were okay, and then ask them to leave if so. As I stood up, the guy backed up slowly and started walking away. That's when I noticed that it wasn't a coat. This guy, or thing, was covered in fur. His legs, arms, everywhere. I started getting closer to the trees when this thing just took off in the opposite direction, but on all fours. He was standing and walking on two legs, but then when he ran off on all fours, it seemed so fluid, like an animal, not a human. I'm not going to lie, though. I was not brave enough to follow this thing, but was also not wanting to wake up the campers. I didn't want to scare the kids and look like the psycho, so... I walked along the outside of the trees, scared this thing was going to jump out at me, but I didn't see it again. I called out to someone that was on call, and I asked if they knew of anything going on or anyone that was supposed to be here, and he said no. I told them that I saw something in the trees, and he immediately just dismissed it as a deer or something. So I tried to snap out of it and headed back to my cot and laid there. Unfortunately, at that point, though, every little sound would catch my attention. When the wind blew and moved a branch, I would look over at it. I would look around if I heard a car driving by. Anytime the girls shifted in the tents, I would jump up. So, needless to say, I didn't sleep very well that night. Thankfully, the girls were young enough that they woke up pretty early, so I wasn't alone anymore. Some of the adults noticed that I looked off and asked if I was okay, and I just said that I didn't sleep well, and I didn't mention anything else about it. I did tell my friend that worked there too about what had happened and what I saw, and of course he was adamant that I had seen Bigfoot. I live in a state that's known for its sightings, and that's all I'll say about my location, but I never believed in that stuff before. Now, I'm not quite sure. I don't know how else I could explain what I saw, though. Either way, I never saw it again while I worked there, thankfully. But you can bet that I was better prepared for future overnight stays. This story actually happened about five or so years ago back whenever I was 16, and still living with my grandparents. This was back before I got out into the world on my own. I've always had a rough family life. My mom was in prison, and I've actually never even met my real father. Three years prior, my mom had done some pretty bad stuff, stuff that I won't list here. 
Because of this, when I was around 13, my brother Rowan, who was 16 at the time, and I ended up getting shipped off to live with Grandma and Grandpa. I wasn't a huge fan of my grandparents. They were both incredibly controlling and also incredibly dismissive. Basically, you had to live by their strict rules, but they didn't really care what happened to you. I know it sounds contradictory, but it is what it is. The story takes place in late March of that same year, and I will say that it was during a really rough time in my life. I gave a bit of backstory, but during this year, when I was 16, my brother was actually killed in what was likely a mugging that went bad. It was assumed that some guys held him up, and he may have tried to fight them back. They didn't like that, so they killed him. He was found in a nearby park and was pronounced dead when he was found. We found out through the phone call from the police that my grandparents didn't seem to really care, and basically just said, oh well, but I was devastated. My brother was the only person I felt I could trust at this point in my life, and not having him meant that I was left to navigate everything on my own. Obviously, this hit me like a sledgehammer to the skull. I was struggling to sleep, I didn't want to eat, and I had sunk into a super heavy depression. After a couple of weeks of just feeling dead inside, I was at a loss of what to do. All I could think about was my big brother and the fact that he was never coming back, and that there was literally nothing in this world that was going to undo what that person had done. One night, during this depression, I was lying in bed and trying to go to sleep, when I decided that I was going to go sleep in his bedroom. Looking back, it was obviously just me trying to cope, but it felt like a good idea. If nothing else, I could maybe just lie there and think of all the good memories that I had with him. So, I grabbed my pillow and headed towards the hallway down into the basement stairs. His bedroom was down in a small finished section of the basement, in a room that was connected to the laundry room, but he had its own door into the main area. It was small, pretty much just big enough for a bed and a dresser, but it was where he had slept for the three years that he lived there. So, I got down there and I went into his room and... I just kind of sat on the edge of his bed and thought about him more. I was sitting there and hoping that somehow he would respond. I just sat there and begged for him to talk back to me, to tell him that I was going to be okay, to let me know that I needed to move on. I knew that I needed to move forward, and I knew that I needed to keep living for the both of us, but... I wanted him to tell me. It makes no sense from the outside, but to me, in that moment, it was the only thing that made sense. He had helped me navigate through my childhood while our mom would disappear for days at a time. He was my guide through my early teenage years. It was because of him that I felt like I could take on anything, and with him gone, 
I felt like I was just going to fall apart. As I was talking to him and telling him how much I missed him, the whole room started to feel strange. The only word that I can think to describe it is charged. Like when you're outside during a lightning storm just before it rains. The air started to have this electric feeling to it. It was almost heavy on my skin. As I was sitting there and pretty much watching the hair on my arms stand up, the lamp that was on his dresser started to flicker down to a dim, almost like it was being disrupted. Then, I heard a pop, and it burned out, leaving the whole room dark. I was just kind of sitting there on the bed, in the dark, and staring at the now-burned-out lamp. I remember that I was thinking it was odd that it happened, and the whole feeling in the air was weird, too. While I was just kind of sitting there and taking it in, out of nowhere, I heard someone laugh quietly. It was kind of like the voice was far away from me, but also playing in my head. And it wasn't just any laugh, no, it was Rowan's. I went from a little bit freaked out to honestly laughing my back end off at this. I knew then that Rowan had done this from wherever he was on the other side. It may sound stupid to some people, but... I honestly feel like my big brother heard me crying and talking to him in his room, and he wanted to make me laugh, so he played this dumb trick on me. I feel like it was him that made the air feel charged, him that shorted the bulb to make me jump, and when he saw that he had successfully scared me, he couldn't help but laugh at my reaction. When that clicked, I couldn't help but laugh with him. He'd gotten me one last time, and he was oh so proud of himself. Afterwards, I just kind of crawled up onto the bed and fell asleep for the first time since he had died. I was actually able to get a full night's rest, and I'll admit that after that night, I pretty much set his room up as my own. I moved my clothes down there, as well as a few belongings, but pretty much kept it how he had it. Kind of as a way to say... Yeah, you got the last laugh, but now your room is mine. Just in case he was still around. I know a lot of people don't believe in the afterlife, but I do. And I really do feel like this was him playing a small joke on me to get me to liven up a bit. That was the last night that I felt miserable, and I only got better from there. I do still miss Rowan more than anything, but... I've moved forward with my life, and things have been going pretty well for me since. And I'm much more at peace with his death. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. Thank you so very much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed these scary stories. If you want to support the channel further, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel. Just search As The Raven Dreams on YouTube and subscribing. You can also join the channel or go to the, my Patreon for early access to all of my content. All of it's appreciated and never expected. But if it happens, thank you. All that said, friends, I will see you on the next episode.
of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. But of course, until then, sleep well.